Welcome to AMP, the platform for multi-sport age group athletes to showcase their journeys. Welcome along to episode 5. Before we get started, some sad news. GB multi-sport athlete and teammate Morris Young passed away at the age of 86. Anyone who met Morris saw him as an inspiration as to what is possible. And a true legend in the age group multi-sport circle. I first met Morris at my first ET duathlon in 2017 Soria, Spain. The race was about to start and we were chatting away and he was quite a calming influence. We met up again in Romania when my kids and wife came to support and they couldn't believe what they were seeing as Morris raced. They saw what was possible and what it meant to never give up. Morris went on to win seven goals over 12 internationals starting in 2013 and finishing in 2019. He inspired us all. He was a legend. And most of all, he was a very nice man. Rest in peace, Morris. On this episode... We chat to Matt Baldock, an obsessive hammer. That's someone who supports West Ham for those who don't follow football. Matt grew up doing the usual activities, but after being told by his PE teacher, age 11, not the PE teacher, that's Matt, that he would never amount to much in a sporting terms, he set out to prove him wrong. Although he didn't know it at the time, with a good background in swimming and running and a taste for multi-sport, after taking part in the London Heathrow Games in the Aquathon, Matt had sown the seeds of becoming an athlete who liked to do more than one sport. And after finding out about age group competition, in 2014 he set himself a five-year plan to try and qualify to represent GB. But not taking the traditional route of starting off with a sprint distance, Matt decided to go straight in with an Ironman. He worked his way down and he finally qualified for GB in his age group to race in a standard distance duathlon. His first race qualified him for the ETU in Targu Muse, Romania in 2019 where he finished fourth in his age group. And he followed that up this year by racing at Punta Umbria, Spain. An interesting route to take and a fascinating conversation I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So welcome along, Matt. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? Absolute pleasure. Yeah, really good, thanks. Really good. COVID times, locking down, um, driving me a bit mad, to be honest. How's it affecting? the same for everyone. Yeah, how's it affecting? Um, it started off being quite a novelty. <laughs> and um, slowly but surely, every day is the same. You know, it's a bit like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, and by now, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. 
I'm going to kind of stuck at home. Do you work from home? Yes, yeah. So I tend to I tend to work from home as a home office kind of situation, but I'm always out and about yeah. and visiting people, factories, whatever. What is it you um, do? My role. I'm in the packaging industry. Oh, so, okay. uh, for food or? Uh, yeah, food packaging, so flexibles, um, working a lot with the retailers to try and reduce plastic waste, etc. Right. So uh, a good, good, honest living. Good, yeah, good, steady, steady income, eh? <laughs> it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. Absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, cool. so that's been good. But it's been a complete change, obviously. And, uh, yeah. you know, we're now stuck at home teleconferencing all the time. Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And that is going to become kind of the new normal, as they say. Yeah. Um, a lot, a lot more, which, which is great. On the one hand, because you're going to reduce carbon, like do you know, less travelling, etc. Yeah. Um, but you're going to lose the personal touch, and uh, that's hard. Are you in sales or are you manufacturing? It's uh, it's, a, it's a bit of both. Right. I'm part of kind of a, a commercially R and D type team. Right. Um. So it's yeah a bit of everything really. Yeah. So that, but, that that is hard, isn't it? When you're used to you know dealing with people face to face and part of your job. Yeah. You know, and then that all suddenly stops, and we've got to do this sort of thing. It's hard. Anyway, we just got to put up with it, haven't we? And, uh, and just get on with it, and take what comes at the moment, because who knows what's going to happen? Exactly. No one knows. Anything. Nobody knows. We can start off then. Just tell me a little bit about your background growing up, sporting wise. What were your interests, hobbies? How you got into to those to begin with, and then further down the line, how you actually got into multi-sport I grew up in a place called Chadwell Heath which is a kind of on the outskirts of Romford Essex which is a an interesting place growing up um, most importantly is where West Ham uh, had their kind of primary training ground so being a big West Ham fan um, amazing amazing to be there cool. and uh, so it was always kind of over at the training ground watching what was going on and obviously the love of sport came a bit from that because clearly you're seeing people who were heroes you know? yeah um, at the time, and then with a bit of a sporting background in the family, and my old man was a, a fantastic swimmer and was on, on the cusp of really making it, and then bizarrely um, turned to snooker, where uh, right. he also became really good. <laughs> Most incredible journey, and then beyond that, you have grandparents who were who were in the boxing game, and then in the hockey game. Yeah. So sports have always been always been circled, which which is really good. I yeah. think um, particularly my generation. Um, we sadly were the, I think, the first guinea pigs for when um, a directive was introduced by government where sport actually became non-competitive. So sports days, instead of having the you know, individual races, and I experienced both. So I, was, I, was, I was on the cusp, so we had the individual stuff. Then suddenly, oh no, everything's a relay, everyone's a winner. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, I think that's a lot to... Um, a lot, a lot happened within 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 that scheme that actually brings out the whole snowflake argument and how millennials are now kind of considered a bit wet and a bit weak, right. I, I, me, me being one of them. Right. Um, but I think a lot derives from that. You, you take away the competition. Um, I think we're also brought up with, you know, yes, uh, you know, follow your dreams, um, which is great, but I think follow what you're good at is probably a better... Yeah, that's better, advice, better uh, Yeah, yeah. And I think we're, we're in a situation where we are now, interestingly, with society being a bit a bit different and a bit, a bit odd. Everyone's opinion counts on social media, clearly, is it? Yeah has had a part to play in that too. So yeah, part of that really uh, growing up and then schooling wise, I was, it, was, it was amazing to be surrounded by 
some great sports people. I think you know, my little synopsis, you know, could be like Tara Bird, who's gone on to great things, Chris Reynolds being part of that, and then mm. having pictures of you know, Sam Smith on the walls. Sam Smith, the, the tennis player, not the singer. Yeah, he, uh, that did confuse he, me a bit. Of <laughs> 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 didn't come across. Uh, didn't come across the singer. Um, but uh, it's it amazing to be around all of that, and then we were fortunate enough to have people like John Lever was our cricket master. So mm. yeah, amazing to have um, these well-known sports people all around. Um, oh. And then, then, then we came across the first bit of uh, controversy. I think aged eleven being told as a, as a whole year group, none of you are going to make it <laughs> in, in the sporting world, and that was wow. That was the first real, this is such a clear memory, the first time I felt gutted, but also inspired at the same time, because, you know, I mean, look, being defined by being a West Ham fan and growing up where I grew up, um, authority didn't really have its place in life, you know, it was always you you against the machine, fighting against um, people that were there to put you down, so that that really lit a fire. and that fight, it was almost like they were trying to... I don't know, I, don't, I still don't know to this very day the reason for doing that. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's such a, such a vivid memory, um, which did spur spur me personally on to try and, uh, you know, stick the proverbial bird up at, at, at the guy and uh, try and do all I could yeah. to, uh, to prove him wrong. Maybe that was it, maybe reverse psychology, yeah, maybe yeah. for a generation that was brought up with the softly, softly approach. Um, that were, that starkness, um, maybe shot to the system and uh, yeah. and inspired all of us really in that year group. We all looked at each other to uh, to try and try and do something, um, and to varying degrees of success. I think we all did. We had a couple of guys who went on to play professional rugby, mm-hmm. which was which was great. You know, it was great to see see that development. Um, and I think a lot a lot of county athletes and things like that also came from our our group. So perhaps that was the way. Yeah. You know, to, to, to try and shatter one's dreams so young. <laughs> that does sound old school, actually. It's really old. So it's yeah. such a traditional place, uh, yeah. which was, it, it kind of worked, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so just going back, going back to your dad in the swimming, <clears throat> did, did he instill that into you at a young age then, swimming? Was that part of your your life, your upbringing? No, I had, I had issues. So as a, as a kid, I had... Um, I'd have grommets and stuff put in my ears because the hearing wasn't wasn't perfect, mm. so uh, I couldn't swim. Right, um, and it was, and, and old school schooling. So I went to the same school from the young prep school days as well. And when I was about it was seven, the intake was about seven years old, um, and I really wanted to play football. And they said, "Well, you can't you can't go to a football club until you've learned how to swim." Bizarre. I was like, "What?" And it, it really bizarre, honestly. And so I had to do swimming lessons instead of football. So I hated swimming, um, purely based on that. But obviously the reasons were medical why I couldn't get in the pool beforehand. Um, so, and yeah, you mentioned the old man. He, he was, uh, yeah, he didn't really push it. Mm. I think he was scared of pushing it. I think a lot of people would be um, frightened of pushing their passion onto the kid just in case he puts them off. So he, he left me to my own devices until I could learn and then, yeah, then clearly he uh, yeah. was like, right, That's come on, good. lad, 5am swimming pool. <laughs> That's good parenting, though, isn't it? Letting you, letting you sort of, like, come to it yourself. It's re- Yeah, it's really good, because, I mean, I've just become a dad, I've got a little 10-month-old, and uh, 
Oh, I find it really hard not to push. Cheers, yeah, it's great. I'm still here. I'm, I'm only a little bit greyer. Um, <laughs> right. It comes trying... on thick and fast. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently, Rich, you're 25 years old. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's really hard not to push that onto a kid. Even now, I'm looking at him thinking, yeah, let's you know, let's get out of football and have a have a kicker and let's only do that. And it's no, it's difficult. You have to just let them crack on and. Uh, and find their find their way. Mm. So, yeah. But no, Dad did help a lot with the swimming actually for moving forward in uh, in the sporting life yeah. for sure. And uh, no, great great coach actually. Really good. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, um, that's a, it's such a such a good thing to have, isn't it? A parent that's going to help you. You know. So, what age was that? What? How old were you when you started swimming? Three from about ten, I think. Right. So. Obviously, I had to learn age seven, yeah. um, and then managed to get in a pool and, and did all right. And then, yeah, it was also interesting. He he allowed me to to kind of find my own way with the swim. So obviously, anything I do, I kind of uh, I like to do well. Um, so obviously, you get into school teams and you get into all the champs, uh, little age, all the galas. And he still didn't try and interfere. He left kind of the school coaches to crack on and, and do what they wanted to do. And then it's about ten years old. He's like, okay. You know, you're you're starting to do okay in, in racing and stuff. Let's let's see. Let's mm. just have have some fun. Let's go in the pool. Let's do some drills. Let's see what you're made of. Mm. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. That obviously, I think, formed the basis of uh, you know, what, what what we do today and uh, what I've done since then. Yeah, um, a good a good base. So absolutely, a fantastic base. And it, you know what? And, and I look back and I see a lot of friends and people that are in sport and not in sport, but particularly for those in. sport, it's just so good to have someone within that close network who actually understands yeah. um, understands sport and what it means mm. and the power it actually has over you as an individual as a collective yeah. um, because a lot of people don't have that and mm. a lot of really talented people just drop off yeah. um, because they haven't got that support network and, and people that get it yeah. and, and that, I think that's quite important and even better being your dad yeah exactly <laughs> free <laughs> yeah free yeah. always good always good so other than the swimming then how long did that carry on for, and and then what was like interceded with that swimming? So about it was amazing. So I think about age ten, I found my myself in a bit of a sporting kind of growth spurt. So swimming happened, and then during like PE lessons and stuff, the guys were like, "Hang on, you can run a bit as well." Mm. So they just threw me into the you know the cross country team as it was. I didn't know what the hell I was getting myself into. Um, bizarrely started winning races so that, that was that was cool so that, that was a nice option I think that happened because of the swimming swimming builds endurance yeah. tremendously um, and and kind of so dad had nothing to do with the running he, he, he then took me to Newman Essex Beagles running club mm-hmm. um, and then I ended up joining Woodford Green um, just to keep the legs ticking over which which is amazing so he did he trusted you know, he, he introduced people, me to people he trusted yeah. I think which is which another really good thing he didn't just thrust me into the local mm-hmm local club and, and leave me there he, he did his research he I think he had a bit of history with Newham and SS Beagles as well yeah for, for some reason so it was it was, it was great to, to have that that network in place already and then kind of it, it lasted till probably late teens so 15 16 I think he kind of took a step back from everything um because at that point you know I was a, a young moody teenager <laughs> wanting to go out on the town and uh, he, he <laughs> in his right mind support that wholeheartedly so it's kind of dropped off a bit but yeah. by then I was kind of established and doing what I was doing in various club situations mm. um, 
as well. So no, no, but it was a good, good five or six years. But picking up all that old school knowledge yeah. and how they used to do things, and he knew that it wasn't how they did things today. Mm. Um, of course, so things like weights. They, I mean, goodness me, back in his day, they were they were doing you know, weights in their early teens and stuff. Mm. I was flabbergasted to hear that. Yeah, um, causing a lot of injuries to people. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean. Goodness me! So it, it was it was a it was a great experience. I think without that, I God knows what I would have done. Yeah. So it's good to have that. Yeah. yeah. Hand on your back. <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, so, what was your first uh, multi-sport experience then? It was. I think it was fourteen. Okay. Pretty sure I was fourteen, and it was the amazing London Heathrow Youth Games. And oh. anyone listening who had had any kind of dealings with it. What an amazing event. Thousands and thousands and thousands of kids um, from kind of around London and, and just outside in the Burbs um, got involved in what was the biggest, you know, biggest multi-sport festival uh, in Europe mm. for young people uh, particularly. It do- doesn't exist anymore, no. which is re- really sad. So you kind of had to qualify for your, for your London Borough team, uh, as I did, so London Borough of Redbridge, um, respect, and... It was it was through a bit of swimming and running, so people knew I did both. That I, I kind of qualified for the they they called it duathlon at the time, but it was it was aquathlon really. It yeah. was a swim and then run. Yeah. So so that was amazing. So that unlocked because the long Heath youth games were taken really seriously, really seriously indeed. So we got a full set of coaches um, looking after the swim and the run, and got involved in that squad um, and really. Uh, kind of took took training to another level because the guys wanted to win. Yeah. Um, but also you started you started meeting other people dotted around who were also had the same kind of drive aspiration. Um, and particularly first access to females with that drive really mm-hmm. as well because they mixed everything up. We, I mean the girls were always better swimmers than the boys at that point. I think like, they seem to develop far sooner and uh, and used to make us quite embarrassed in, mm-hmm. the, in the pool. Um, but it, it was something. It was it was a wonderful, a wonderful thing. So all the events, London Heath Youth Games, around the athletics and the multi-sport aquathlon, etc., all held at Crystal Palace National yeah. Sports Centre at the time. Amazing. So you go there, and you go there with the knowledge of kind of maybe the history yeah. of the you know, sport, the, the the standing Crystal Palace had um, within, you know, particularly the athletics world, yeah. and you were inspired. And I think a lot of people in our squad, in particular, you know, the coaches were. We're desperate for us to become almost historians of the sport as well, understand what's happened before um, and try and get more perspective because it's not just you know, competing, um, although that was the primary focus. It's, it's learning and it's trying to understand the magnitude of where you are, what you're taking part in. Um, and that yeah, that wasn't lost on us. So you, you turn up inspired and then you just look at the facilities. And you know, for, for us kids, we'd never seen anything. You know, there, was, there were tracks, there was... Paths, there were you know, cycling trails, there's the pool and everything, and that kind of complex. And for the first time, yeah, it was my first ever massage as well. I had a massage because <laughs> there was someone was offering them free before a race. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I think these are meant to work. Um, so yeah, a pre-race massage as well. Yeah. I remember first time, um, and it, it was just it's the whole experience. And you were made to feel so special by the organisers, much like today. You know, when we go to our yeah. our events all over you're made to feel so special and it's kind of a testament to the work you've put in yeah. and part of you know, that, that experience is so valuable because it, it's finally people recognising what you've done mm. you know, and all of us you know, who, who, who compete you know the, the work you put in is incredible 
honestly. Um, yeah, the training yeah. we have to put in. Yeah, and I think, you know, unless you, you're actually involved, people, it's like, I suppose, professional sports people as well. People only see the outcome, don't they? They don't actually see what yeah. you go through. And, and as amateur age groupers, you, you can appreciate, actually, what the professionals do also. But people don't see that. They only see the outcome. They don't see what goes into it. So you, you're dead right. Absolutely. They don't see the cold winter morning runs. and Yeah. But all, all that experience and stuff was, was was quite magical. And it inspires you to do more. Yeah, um, so what, what was next then after you'd competed in that? What did you move on to? So after that, it was kind of, okay, did that for a few years. Um, was that held every year then? Annually. It was an, an annual event yeah. and it was, oh man, it was yeah. fantastic. You, you could do a whole podcast on it. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> it, was, it was mad. It was mad. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even think about that happening today. Um, yeah. You know, it was, I think it was, I might be right in saying it was bigger than the Youth Olympics right. in terms of the amount of sports and the amount of kids involved. So yeah. it was, you know, really really powerful so that, that kind of happened and then at the same time I was doing a lot of the mini marathon stuff which was which was good fun again qualified for the borough team and, and had a crack at that so that was that was alright never did any good but it was yeah. again another experience yeah, yeah. where you get to have a little insight into the elites really because you're running the last three miles of the course people are out cheering I think the wheelchair races are kind of similar time some of them were coming through so you've got to you know, weaving it out of that, it was um, it was definitely uh, again another another magical experience, and um, it's kind of those two. And then obviously you get the school I was at whipped into you know, studying hard to get into university. You must you must go. This is your priority number one in life. So mm. a lot a lot of the sport kind of dropped off a mm. little bit there. Um, but there were, there were fits and starts again. A bit of swimming mainly going on kind of club level just just me selling into mediocrity really yeah um i did find a drop off in motivation you know, between the ages of 16 and 18 right but then you know you're, you're starting to go out you're starting to meet yeah. girls you're starting yeah all of that stuff kind of takes over yeah um and you become very self-aware and i think that's yeah that was quite a defining period yeah. too um so yeah a couple of uh Northern voyages, so but then you go to university and then things ramp up again because actually the stuff that was not cool in school becomes very cool hmm. at university, and you know to be top of the class is a uh, something to you know, stick thumbs up yeah. for and uh, and sport etc. So so what did what yeah. sport did you partake in at university? I start. Well, it, it was really interesting. So I did a lot of um, a lot of running there. Um, I was kind of started to explore cycling for the first time. So cycling is always a sport that I've no background in ever. I used to see, you know, luckily I, I kind of crossed over with non-Stanford, who, who, who was at University of Birmingham with us all. Um, and aside for seeing someone often prance around in white lycra um, quite a lot of the time, I always saw these very strange-looking kind of contraptions, which didn't quite make sense uh, to me as, as being bicycles. Um, obviously the time trial bikes and things that I was seeing and I was like oh, god look at it that looks pretty interesting so I kind of investigated a bit more um, I had a luckily I had a friend who who was in cycling amazing the people you meet on, on your courses and stuff so he, he cycled from Northern Ireland so right. that was cool so he let me kind of borrow a bike or two to see what to have him took me out and, and, and try to explain the sport and got me interested in things like the Tour de France and trying to work out 
what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And in my naivety, I remember one, one night we were just watching some of the highlights and I don't know, the, the peloton was average at 25, 28 miles an hour or something. And I was like, no, nah, I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> and he was like, mate, you, no, no. But I took the challenge, completely failed. So he put me on a turbo trainer for the first time. I was like, oh, go on then, fill your boots, do, do five minutes at 28 miles an hour. Yeah. I think I barely touched 20, to be honest. It was, you know, it was amazing. But then... Yeah, the, the cogs start whirring in your brain and you're like, okay, can I actually do something in this? I was doing all right. And to be fair, my friend Niall, he was, he was quite um, he was quite impressed with what, what power I could put out at that point, being a little skinny thing. Um, so that, that's where that, that started, that started the thought process that just bubbled, bubbled away in the back, of, the back of the head. I clearly stuck with the swimming, stuck with a bit of running. And I ended up training a lot with um with a guy called jared dunn who, who went to the rio olympics although we picked we just knew each other from the sporting you know, sporting world he'd, he'd seen kind of what i'd been doing running wise as a kid um so he, he thought it mm, might be worth training with him so i used to do lots of long some of the long distance stuff with him he's a 400 meter runner so yeah i couldn't touch him on yeah, yeah. anything short distance but yeah we, we started training together again I, and what, what i've always found is i keep i keep getting associated and, and surrounding myself with these people who are who are incredible athletes um, hoping that you know, some of that's reflected on, onto me which uh, I don't think it ever was but <laughs> it was amazing to, but the inspiration you get from the people around you and your mates because it makes yeah. it more real yeah, yeah. 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 so I was just going to say it also brings you on always you should always train with somebody better if you want to get oh god yeah. you know that's, that's the way I look at it if you want to get faster you know, you want to get fitter. Yeah. Fear was somebody better. So you've got some aspirations. Yeah. You know. That's so, it. Yeah, but the, you, the fear is making them worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was And I'd always, I mean, it, 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 that was interesting because I've always been quite interested in why people choose person X to train with or whatever. Um, and it, it took me to a book. Um, I, I was reading Steve Ovet's book, so obviously looking back at the history of athletes. Mm. Like you look back at the history of the, the Duncan Goodshoes of the world, who are absolute legends. Um, so in, in kind of the running side of the sport, um, I was looking at Steve Ovet. I always found him quite interesting. And I, I, kind of looking back at the videos and how he was, I quite like, I liked him more so than Lord Coe. Um, <laughs> I just thought he had a bit, he had a bit, bit more spunk about him, really. Um, but he, he used to train with someone. I think he, in, in his book, in his autobiography, in the latter stages, he, he says he's really grateful for the guy he ran with because the guy he ran with was really good and he knows he ruined him. Yeah. And he, that guy could not fulfil his potential yeah. because he was training with Steve Ovett. Yeah. And it, it was really kind of him to say that. And I don't see many athletes actually um, mm. talk about that. No. So I thought that, that's a mark of a man. Yeah. Um, but obviously that, that's always in the back of my head when I was like, oh, Jared wants to train with me. Mm. Yes. Um, I think, oh crap! Actually, this could this could ruin me forever. <laughs> you know, so there's all these thoughts going on, and um, and it, it kind of yeah. But yeah, I ran with it, and uh, and it seems to have worked out well for for both of us in the end. And from a sporting point of view, what did you get on on with? Did you actually do any triathlons after university, or did you do any during university? Yeah, did did, did a few just to see, you know, what what, what it was all about. So get, get a bit wet, get a bit sweaty. Mainly within the universities, the US is really good for hosting their own events and kind of introducing, you know, much like British Triathlon do with the Go Active scheme, getting people into the sport. So on a, on a very um, local insular level, did a bit of that. It did reasonably well, but then 
I, I, I didn't know where to pitch myself anyway, so I just yeah. just did it, did all right. I didn't really think much of it. Um, at the end of university, where you've acquired skills that you wouldn't use in real life, in the real world, um, I thought, well, let's apply these skills now with the, some of the analytical stuff and just look back at what I was doing. There's a lot of data being created over time from swimming, from kind of the running, and from mm-hmm. the other thing, you know, CrossFit and things. You, you pick up lots of, lots of bits of data. So I actually did an analysis and just just to see what where I sat and, and did, did a bit of work comparing it down at Birmingham University and we, we kind of were looking through and, and that, that, at that point they were like actually there's probably a bit of potential here to, to do something you know mm-hmm. to, uh, to you know you're, you're not going to be a professional no. like no forget that but there's this thing called um, age grouping we think we think you could, you could probably make it based on your potential and what what you've done so far so you know, think about it think about it so I did um, and d- decided on a five-year plan. It sounds so sad, but I thought with a long-term goal, at least there's always something to keep my mind active because you know the work work is work. It's, yeah. it's not a hobby, is it? It's, it's, it's work, and you need that release. I think all people need a, a release from the daily grind and, and the stresses of life. So I kind of embarked on a five-year plan where I knew I wanted to start with an Ironman. Right. Both because it sounds really good, but actually, it was more to do with the training and the process of getting getting to that point, mm. knowing that actually, yes, like, you've got the discipline, you can manage your time properly to reach those levels. So, what, what I found really interesting was the more I trained, the better my time management was for mm. work because you had to. When you're training 16, 17 hours a week, um, most of it was junk miles. I didn't know how to train. Yeah. So, it was a, you know, the hours sounded good, but the output was pants. Um, but you become better at life. And I, I really welcome that. So I was like, okay, yeah, it's great. This five-year plan is actually going to work. It's going to help me at work um, and physically. And then the idea was to start with Ironman and then trickle down towards some of the more suitable um, age group events. Mm. Um, so I initially was thought, sprint triathlon, let's do that um, as, as the end goal, which, you know, there's so many amazing people. I didn't get a, sh- I didn't get a shot at that. So I was like, okay, what, 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 what can I do then? What, what else am I? half decent that and looking at kind of the work I did with Jared on, on the run side of things actually triathlon is probably going to suit it's a couple of runs it's hard yeah. I find it much harder than triathlon yeah uh, I, was, I had this conversation with um, another interviewee last time out and I said you know I, I often say triathletes pure triathletes that duathlon's a lot harder and unless you've, yeah. unless you've experienced it you you think oh no it can't be but it, it is it is <laughs> yeah it is Definitely, it's so much harder on the body. I think the second run is, <laughs> goodness me, it's one of the hardest things you, you could ever do. So no, I, I kind of stumbled upon that as an option. I was like, right, let, let's let's look at that. So started with Ironman, then trickled down the distance. I think I did Ironman year one, year two did an Ironman, year three, half Ironman. And actually the beauty of Ironman is to be able to travel around the world and Europe to mm-hmm. do stuff. So you know, I really appreciate the organisation for giving everyone the opportunity to to see more of the world, places you wouldn't otherwise yeah. look at. Another great you know, benefit of long distance, mm. um, for sure. And then after the half iron, it was then looking at qualifications. So to prepare for due, I think, qualification, I, I entered randomly the London Triathlon, yeah. uh, which was, uh, I think, about a month before duathlon qualifiers up at Alton Park. And then that, that caused me a lot of confusion because I came 35th overall right. in the London Triathlon. I was like, what? Yeah. This, this is impossible. How, how did this happen? Um, 
but actually the beauty of it was gave me the confidence then because I was I was really scared about the qualifiers and I think a lot of people have this anxiety of a not qualifying because that's your goal and has been your target for a while but knowing as well if you fail to qualify or fail to meet your own expectations mm. the impact mentally that would have on you and would you even bother to turn up next time there's a lot of fear that's created and I think I guess I'm not like fear fear is kind of a really positive driver because mm. it, it makes you do stuff you know you kind of work in sport so coming out of the really confidence building London Triathlon rocked up to the uh, so Park qualifiers for the London Triathlon so just let's recap a little bit because that that all got a bit condensed you've done your Ironman couple of Ironmans you've done your half Ironman and then after that did you go into standard distance I did yeah did a couple of standard distances which was uh, which I found harder yeah than half Iron and full Iron and they were triathlons always, always sticking with the tries to that point yeah um, but you weren't looking at this before, time to qualify for age group through that? The original ambition was sprint triathlon qualifications, right. but I did the national champs and got completely schooled and was like, yeah. nah, I'm yeah. never, never going to do it. A bit of realism. Okay. First time I'd actually done that to myself as well. Yeah. But like, you're actually not going to do so, this. So, yeah. So after that, then did you start looking at duathlon? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What distance right. was that at then? Standard duathlon was then the next you know, thing what, after London try. What process did you go through to find that out? I always ask this question because I'm, I'm intrigued by how how people, what process they use to, one, decide which event. Obviously, you had your process, which, by the way, not very many people start off at Ironman. It's always, it's always the other way around, so hats off, hats off to you for going like in at that. When I read that on your, on your email, I thought, that's an interesting concept. The process is... Ironman is the toughest. There are other, obviously, other crazy, crazy events as well. But in a general sense, that's that's the toughest triathlon event. And I thought, if you start there, you'd have to build that resilience, that toughness, that discipline. And once you have that and proven it, then actually dropping down the distances becomes that much easier. Mm. I think. I think that's the way I work. As long as you can prove you can do something, you, you can achieve quite quite a lot. So it, it was a case of trying to prove to myself that I could maintain that, that level of training, the hours, um, to see that, okay, there is there is a future. Had I not been able to finish or something, then maybe I would have just quit. That on paper is tougher than your end goal, Yeah. actually. Um, because you, know, you wouldn't have achieved that goal, and I hate... I hate not, not the, the non-fulfillment of potential, mm. but if you had no potential to start with, which would have been proven by not completing that Ironman when you set out to do that, then um, yeah, would have, would have probably given up. So the process was clearly to say, can you do that? Yeah, um, something really hard, something that has no relevance to your end goal, but will set the um, the foundations of training. Um, and luckily, the answer was yes there, and so you could then more comfortably work down the distances and um, try and prove yourselves in these other arenas. Yeah. But it's having that base, you know. Mm. It's, it's just like normal training. Mm. You're building that base. The base training in winter is horrific. Yeah. And it's so much longer and tougher and whatever than what you do in this kind of in the summer months in, within season. So yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of use it as that, but rather than over the period of a year, over five years. Mm. Yeah. And kind of using that basis and it. It kind of worked for me. Yeah, it's no. It sounds it sounds interesting. So just going back to the, you know, you got to you got to that standard distance point where you wanted to be. Was it just that you thought, well, I'm never going to do well at triathlon at that distance, so I'll have a look at duathlon? Or you, do you, is that was that what it was? And then how did you go about finding out about 
what races you were going to go for, if it's me, I'll have a look at who else is racing in certain races to see what chance I've got. What was your process of doing that? Obviously, I, I worked out triathlon wasn't going to happen. Mm. There's yeah, some amazing people. I knew duathlon would have been the next step because I, always on the last run leg, I've, I've never been overtaken by more than maybe two or three people. So I was like, okay. So when you're a bit tired, I seem to be able to keep turning over. Yeah. That harks back to doing shed loads of Ironman training and, and building you know, building that up. Yeah. Um, so that, again, it's that base that's carried you through. So it's like, okay, duathlon, it's worth a shout because of the amount of running in there. People are going to people are gonna get you know, seriously tired on that bike because of the, you look at the speeds people lay down during during the bike like, so it's off, off, off the scale again speeds that I, I could only dream of so it was like Jurathan okay so I've, I've, got, I've definitely got the endurance for it the bottom bit hit and miss but I know on the last leg I'm gonna, I, I can do well mm. um, and it's, it's picking that one discipline where you think yes I'm going to do well and it's always one two for me mm. um, and the swim in the triathlon but that was uh, that, that's literally out of the water Um and then the process of choosing events. Um, I, I like your approach of looking at the competition. I did that for one race. Right. Um, and when, when we qualify for Almere in the sprint, Almere next year, we kept yeah. our faces with who? Yes, um, yes, I believe, yeah. <laughs> great news. <laughs> so I did that for that, and I went to qualify at Stockton. Yeah, I was uh, there. Were you there? I was. Well, I, what a lovely race. Oh, it's fabulous. Um, That's my hometown, by the way. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I love it, love it. So it's great going love back it. to Love it, love the investment. No, that's, that's great. I mean, a bit of a long drive for me, but yeah. that's the one time I've chosen based on competitors, yeah. and I got a Q2, so, yeah. that, so it kind of, that process definitely worked. To, to qualify previously so for Romania, um, which was a wonderful experience too, yeah. a bit different. Yeah, <laughs> fabulous place. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Everything closed so late. Everything opened so late. I was <laughs> yeah. looking for food and everything was shut. But for that, it was a case of I'm going to pick where the times are the quickest on the runs, or so I thought. Um, and based on that, sadly, I picked the times that are quickest for I think the then nat- national champion had done it and like, set some stupid course records, and I didn't realise he was the champion or anything. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. Okay, rubbish. And I remember coming. I was nearly lapped on the bike leg, and I was completely disheartened yeah. at that race. Yeah. Um, and managed to qualify. I think I got a roll down in eighth or something in the end. But so that 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 kind of approach. Don't advise it. Definitely advise to look at your competitors. But you don't know your competitors until you've raced them. That's correct. Um, and that was that was always the challenge at the start. And so from that point, it was a. Uh, Things got a bit easier because you get to know the people around you. You make some really lovely friends, don't you? Yeah. And then you can bounce ideas off each other. Then you get in touch, and you're like, "Okay, you're going to race here." And actually, some people you think, "Oh, they're racing there. I'm not turning that." <laughs> yeah, it's true. It is. It's very true. <laughs> There's definitely people I would avoid at all costs, particularly if you know, kind of, you've got to get within fifteen percent or twenty yeah. percent. Yeah. Um, and in your age group, in a race, there was a race. Um, it was Clumber Park a couple of years ago. Mm. Was it last year? My, so my now coach, Will Clark, actually rocked up to race in, in the duathlon there, which yeah. was also a qualifier. So okay. at that time, oh, yeah. I chose not to turn up because yeah. I would have been way out for a year, then professional triathlete. Yeah. And I think their time is as the age group winner, although not obviously qualifying for the race, I think that time stands in terms of full qualification. Although I know BTF say that if there's someone pretty special yeah, in the race yeah. they might review but yeah. things like that do put you off going yeah. so you see it from that way too so yeah. 
know, know, know your competition and, uh, and and work from there. Wise words. But it is interesting the process that you can you can look at it from all different sort of points of view, can't you? I think you've just got to use your strengths, like you quite rightly have done, taking on duathlon rather than triathlon. You know, that's the I think that's the key to success, especially in age group. Know your strengths, yeah. play to those strengths, and look at who else is around. You know, and that's it's well, I can say it's done me. It's done me well over the last few years. So. Long may it continue. You mentioned, obviously, you had your dad coaching you. Yep. You've been sort of like coached and not coached on and off throughout throughout your sport in history. Yeah, is that is that correct? Absolutely. So when when I um, again you're going back to mid teens onwards, um, I used to jump in with different groups you know, in the pool on the track or wherever um, because my fellow competitors had asked me to come across and kind of help, not help, help them out, join the group, just add to the numbers to hopefully assist kind of the, the number one, you know, athlete or yeah. swimmer achieve their goals. So I've, I've always I'd picked up all this information from all these different coaches, all these different methods, um, which have all formed part of my own thinking and how I used to deal with myself. So from that, for those first four years um, to get into the age group side, I coached myself yeah. using the methods and the techniques and the theories from all of those I come across. There's one coach in particular who who was Jared's coach for a bit, the guy who used to run with kind of university days. Um, a guy called Keith Holt, who's who does it. I think he is he currently running the I think the England cross country team or something. Mm. Um, he might have dropped down to track for it, but that that guy actually left a huge mark because he 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 introduced things like sports psychology. Um, he worked you out very quickly mentally um, and then how then to you know, influence your training and, and make, achieve results. And it was on the kind of involvement with him um, and Jared that I started seeing myself do things I never thought I'd do mm. um, fitness-wise. I mean, various fitness testing that, that we did. So that always takes away. So the psychological approach became quite, quite key. Um, but there does come a point where you, you know, a specialist Mm. Uh, was required um, so after a few years of kind of self-coaching again with influence from other places I decided to uh, to join Will Clark's stable okay. knowing that he had a group of amazing athletes primarily focused on Ironman but again I think that's because that was my first real love within this within you know within triathlon yeah. and I thought that approach was good the discipline the um, the hours the distance and being surrounded by people far better than me mm. you know and to pick up ideas again, because you're always learning something in this game. Yeah. Bit bike tech is my, I don't know. I know what a disc wheel is. Right? <laughs> but we talk about the group techs and the nuances of that. You know, and I, I kind of thought, let's join a specialist. And, and, and the results are really you know, to clear to see again. And the, the power and stuff and training by power rather than by you know, perceived effort and, mm. and heart rate and cadence. Yeah, f- fantastic. So it's, it's adding to that. Um, adding to that knowledge you already had yeah. gleaned from the sport. And I think actually in multi-sport, all of us as athletes, we know a lot mm. about how to train and what to do. And I think there's a load of people who are self-coached or just kind of joining the local clubs. But the amount of knowledge that we have picked up, yeah. I think if we put it all together, we could we could create a beast. You know? yeah. I think even locally, you know, you surround yourself by people who... You know, all right, they're not not names, they're not not well known coaches, but they have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. Mm. You know, 
and like you you rightly said we pick we're like sponges aren't we we pick these up as we go along but yeah i mean i've, I've not been coached um by a coach as such i've i've got there's a group of us who, who you know we get together and uh, we have coaches who do a bit of running but they're all part of the group they're not they're not anything you know they've just gone off and yeah. done qualifications and they're athletes themselves so and actually one of the guys in the group he he has been coached uh, yeah. long distance coaching um so it interests me to see whether actually how much it would bring you on you know if yeah. you, if you do go down that route um, and i'm sure it the people that i've spoke to since doing this uh, i think you're probably the second one who's who's been coached you do say that it has brought you up another level so it's yeah. literally 100 watts on the bike yeah. this kind of last 3 4 months yeah it's mad yeah. it's i just i don't know how that happened yeah but yeah, so it, there's definitely a benefit to it. I think you have. To, I think if you, because some coach is very expensive. Yeah. Um, so you have to work out yeah, whether you're going to get bang yeah. for your buck. I think if you've reached a point where you feel you're plateauing, that's the time to go. I think if you still feel yourself improving on your own, this I don't think you, you need to engage in that. But I think when you hit that, you think you've hit the ceiling, mm. and and maybe you start thinking, doubting yourself as well. But mm. like, oh, can I get quicker? Can I do that? If I don't get any quicker, I'm not going to qualify. Actually, at that point, yeah. a coach is really, really useful because they're going to give you that belief. They're going to give you um, a hard word sometimes yeah. um, to get yourself going. But that, I think that's the point where no, that's that's wise words again. We'll get on to hints and tips. Um, anybody wanting. Anybody doing multi-sport at the moment that wants to go into try and qualify for age group, what hints and tips would you give them so they could sort of like reach that potential that you've you found from your own experience? I think discipline is the biggest the biggest driver for you. If you wake up, it's dark, it's raining, it's freezing, and you just can't be bothered. Overcome that. You've, you've got to get out because everyone who qualifies is doing that and has that discipline um, and drive. And I think even if you don't want to do it yourself, and I go back to you know, my biggest driver is fear, that fear inside you is like, oh, someone else is doing it, someone else, you, who you, you you might know your competition, and it's that guy that you're fighting with for that, your last qualifying spot, they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so that fear needs to get you out there, that fear needs to get you get you out there. So my biggest tip is discipline. Set yourself a plan and stick to it. Mm-hmm. Um there are times where I think yeah, if you look at Kenyan athletics, um, sometimes they just they wake up and they feel rubbish. And it's knowing whether your it's your body talking or is it is your mind playing tricks on you? Because it's okay to have a yeah, it's okay to have a few days off here yeah. and there, hundred percent, because you need to recover. But if it's your if it's your kind of our inbuilt laziness, um, and we can go into a debate about the brain or the ego, super ego, and all of that. Well, that governs, but a part of your brain is lazy. And it wants you to chill, and it wants you to just just relax. The, the, the problem with doing that, if you did listen to that part of the brain, is that probably about 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to feel gutted that you didn't go out for that run. Mm. And then you've realised, oh, I don't have time to do that now the rest of the day because I've got a job, I've got a family, I've got responsibilities. Yeah. Um, so the discipline is, is, the, is the one thing you need to maintain. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Wise words. So we're looking at resources. What resources do you use within your multi-sport? So one thing with with multi-sport is, and I, I want everyone listening to do it, is 
look at the run, look at the swim, look at the cycling, all of them independently of one another, mm. and learn the history of the sport, and learn what people have done. Learn, and, and it's not just for um, motivation and inspiration, but it's to understand how things have evolved over time. I'm really big into this. Look back here, you know, recycling, look at Eddie Mertz and what he did. Look at Boardman's achievements mm. and work out how did they trade? How did they reach these heights? How did they play with science and, and look at, you know, particularly the cycle, the cycling thing, aerodynamics and positions? Let, let's see how they did it because they're the specialists and it's the specialists in each individual sport that we will gain most from as multi-sporters. So I think it's all about understanding where you individually have come from in terms of those three specific events and then merging them all together because when you merge them all together you find that you, you kind of achieve things like you achieve a brownliness in, uh, <laughs> in what you're doing because you know, again Alistair Brown he's an inspiration because he's he's always been amazing at all of the sports mm. yeah um, and you know like, we don't have that inbuilt talent and potential but we can learn about it mm. and how you know others individually have uh, have thrived from from going back in time. And another person that you everyone must look at for inspiration again is you know, there are two two people that have come through the age group system who are of note. Chrissy Wellington, yeah. the greatest Ironman of all time. Um, she is fantastic, a phenomenon. And look at her journey. She came through age group. And Reese Ashfield from today, last year he was age group and this year he's yeah. a pro. Yeah, I saw him at uh, Punta Umbria. Yeah, you see him, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know what? I, I'd seen him at a couple, and um, I thought I clocked his because I, I never forget a face. Not very good with names, but yeah. I never forget a face. And I and I looked at him and I said to my wife, I said, "He was in the age groupers last last year." <laughs> and she said, "Oh yeah, yeah, he was." <laughs> and so yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's those guys. You look at them and you think, okay, do you know what? That's it. Shows how strong, obviously. We are as a nation, um, interesting how, but it shows the mobility too, which I think is, is incredible, and it shows the pathway is there for anyone who who wants it and wants to push themselves to it. Yeah, and yeah, it is. the final one from me. Uh, what's your favourite <laughs> bit of kit? It's got to be the, the sun dried skin aero skin suit, um, which I compete in when not wearing the the, the, the GB blue. Um, Honestly, that is the most comfortable thing I've ever worn. Right. It, it, it's, it's comfortable to the extent that there's been a couple of work days where I've had to go into offices and sit down in, in you know, various corporate meetings. I've worn it underneath. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's really, it's, it's so soft. It's you know, made from the finest Italian fabric. But uh, honestly, it's, the sun-dried aero skin suit is, okay. is something that everyone must have. And final, finally, from me, <laughs> what are your goals for the future? I think... COVID has, has done some horrible things to everyone's goals and everyone, I think, has, has been a bit demoralised by the situation. Clearly, everyone's health is the most important thing, so we understand the measures that have to be taken, but this year is going to be a bit of a, a duff year yeah. um, in terms of competing performance. So I'm looking forward to the rearrangement of Almir next year in Holland. That's the big focus. Yeah. Um, and you've been fortunate enough to keep our qualifying slots, yeah, that's which is which, which is really really good of good of the federation to uh, to do. Um, right now, we we feel grateful that Almir's back on the radar, and we thought we might have lost it. We thought we might be completely cancelled, and that was throwing a lot of things up in the air. So 
that's really sharp and I think everyone's focused um, in the long term. But then beyond that, who knows? Who knows? I mean, for, for me, I just want to step up. I want, I want to get back on the Ironman um, circuit, 70.3 and, and full. Um, learning what I've learned from the first year, the first time you do it, the second time you do it, dropping out of it. When you go back, you're fresher, you're wiser. You've had you've had the ability to compete with some amazing people, which is something that we can we can learn from. Some of the athletes around us, unbelievable. And so it's it's amazing to have access to all those people. And then I guess I mentioned, you know, um, Morris Young as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, we lost him this week. Yeah, um, and I, I know you, you spoke to him a lot more than I did. I spoke to him once yeah. about just to calm, yeah, calm, yeah. and really helped. Because it's my first time in Romania, and just the calming words, amazing. Yeah, fantastic. amazing. So yeah, fantastic guy, fantastic guy. Mm. Sadly missed. Yeah, definitely. definitely well, that's um, yeah, that's great. Thank you ever so much for coming on and sharing no, sharing your time. Much appreciated. No, it's great. You've given the platform to you know just people like ourselves who wouldn't otherwise get to talk about Absolutely. it, to, and we talk about it to people that are interested. Absolutely, and it's like I said, oh, this is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my idea, so hopefully, you know, people appreciate it. Uh, thank right, you, mate. thank you ever so much again. And Lovely stuff. All right, cheers, My Matt. Friend. Cheers, cheers Rich. Take care. Cheers, mate. Bye. 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 Great to hear from Matt and his achievement after his five-year plan. Loved his strategy on starting with Ironman, using it as a base to build his strength, dropping down to his optimal race. That's really interesting. So that's episode five done. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, leave us a comment, rate it, and let all your friends know about it. Spread the word. We had a question coming this week from Dan MC Lifestyle on Instagram, and he asked. How often should you change your saddle? Well, it's not something I've really thought about very much. Um, so that would tell you that I haven't ever changed my saddle from setup. But I guess it depends on usage, wear and tear, if you've had a crash or just have had a lot of use on your on your bike. Some manufacturers recommend two years, but I've seen that professionals use theirs for up to 6,000 kilometres and saddles are usually good for 10 years. But again, each individual case is different. But it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this or on any other matter. If you've got any questions, drop us an email, messages on Instagram and Facebook. And one last thing, I'd just like to say a big thank you for all the support that we've had so far uh, on this podcast, especially from Age Group News on Instagram. And if you don't follow them, give them a look up for all things Age Group. Some really good articles on there and some great photographs. So that's it for episode five. Thanks again. And remember, stay safe. Keep training and love the process.